Well, I want to welcome you and thank you for not giving up this morning. You, you persevered, you came in the midst of the traffic, and you didn't go get breakfast. Good for you. Well, if you have a seat, let me set the context for this year's preaching. Every year, I was, I was thinking about this, uh, every year I get up and say, I've never been so excited about this, about preaching in my whole life, and I mean it. I mean, I'm just, I'm just that kind of that wired. Uh, I'm not going to do that this year because I am beyond excited. I'm scared. <laughs> and let me tell you why. There's a good reason for this. First of all, let me give you the context for those of you who may be new and need a kind of a reminder. And this is a reminder for the old folk, the older, old time. <laughs> those of you who have been here previously. <laughs> Almost 10 years ago, when we were a, a church of just a few hundred, um, I, I felt in my prayer life that God was trying to uh, tell me something about Northland, about our future together, and about what He wanted for us as a church. And uh, being the only pastor here, but well, there was just there was me and a part-time secretary. Um, um, you know how that goes: the, the toilet overflows, and you go fix it, and the and there, uh, some roach needs stomping, you go stomping. And, and uh, so, uh, but, and, I, and I, I felt like every time I was getting close to what God really wanted, I'd put him on call waiting. That's not a good thing to do with God, by the way. But it was, it was for perfectly legitimate things, but I just could, I kept getting interrupted before I kept hearing the whole thing. Well, I told that to the elders. And the elders, wisely, as they always are so wise, they said, look, we want you to go away, and we don't want you to come back until you've heard what God has to say to you for us. And so literally, I went to a mountain, the top of a mountain in Colorado, and I just listened as well as I can listen. Now, let me preface this with, I get a little bit nervous where, where, when people, every whipstitch say, well, the Lord told me. Uh, that is, to me, that's it's a little presumptuous to just... Uh, um, always say that in, to, to have that running throughout one's conversation. And I realize that I am a sinful person and, and when I hear God, I'm going to hear Him uh, um, through that. So, I'm, so there's some static there. But as well as I can listen to God, I had a couple of questions for Him about the church in general. Not just about Northam, but about the church in general. And the questions ran something like this. Lord, why why does the church stay so immature? Why is it that I have known Christians that are, are 20 years into the faith and they're making the same mistakes again and again and again? They don't seem to have any more power in their lives than when they began the thing. Why do we have entire churches that are still fight, fighting about the color of carpet? They, 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 what, what's all this about politics? And what's all this about... Well, how can a church have the same... Instead of having 20 years of experience, have one year of experience 20 times? How does that happen? And, and, and furthermore, Lord, if you please, why is it that there are millions of Christians in this country and we have no more effect on society than society has on us? Why is that? Well, again, as well as I could listen to God, this is what he said. The church systematically trains its people to be immature. And it does that unknowingly in a couple of ways. First of all, in most preaching, in the best preaching in the country, 
people preach biblical principles. And every week they come up with three new biblical principles to live by. Now add that up for a year, will you? At the end of the year, we're all supposed to be living 150 new biblical principles. When most people can't even remember what was last Sunday. And what we've, what we've said in that is, you know what, we don't expect you to remember last week. Let alone weave it into your character, because we've got three new principles for you next week. And what that whole process has done to the church over the years is just weave the expectation of non-change in people's lives. As long as they can learn more, they don't have to do anything else. And so we have systematically trained our people, trained ourselves, that Christianity is about learning, not about becoming. And that has kept us at a certain level of immaturity. And there's another thing that, that the Lord really, I, I believe, wants us all to understand. And that is that in order to become mature in Christ, and that's the mission of this church, to bring people to maturity in Christ. In order to become mature in Christ, you have to stay on a theme long enough for it to be woven into your character and into your action. And so... As I understood the Lord, he said, look, there's only a few themes in Scripture. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation. This isn't, this isn't rocket science. There are themes that I have woven throughout the Scriptures very simply. Stay on them at least a year, will you? So that people have a chance to really begin to say, okay, where am I with that? And so we, we began. We began uh, in 1990 with the, with the theme of, um, of, of starting a walk on the foundational truths of Christianity, starting this journey towards spiritual maturity on the foundational truths of Christianity. Christianity is a unique, uh, absolutely unique faith in Christ. There is nothing like it on the face of the earth as far as religions go. And anybody who tells you religions are all pretty much the same is, is terribly wrong. They don't know... And we have foundational truths, all of them centering around the cross of Christ. All of them. And so to walk this walk, you've got to have that understanding. In order to love God accurately, you've got to have accurate understanding about Him, just like in order to love people accurately. You've got to understand who they are. And, and, and having just a, a, a one or two little uh, heresies in there can can wind you up on a different. You know when you begin a when you begin a journey. If you're just one degree off at the beginning of that journey, that's not much at the beginning. But if it's a long journey, that's way off at the end. And so it's very very important that we all understand the foundational truths of Christianity. And then the next year we 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 began to examine this Garden of Eden place where where it was apparent that for the people God made he had a purpose for their lives. And and we believe that he has a purpose for everyone's life and and nobody's really go, everybody's just going to live kind of ad hoc until they understand that God has a purpose for all of our lives and all the circumstances of our lives. And so we talked about God's purpose for our lives. The next year we talked about adversity, because as soon as you understand you have a purpose and you start acting on it, there's going to be hindrances come up that never have before. And one of the reasons I'm frightened about this year is because, well, I'll tell you in just a minute. But God allows the adversary 
to create hindrances and problems in our lives because he even has a purpose for the problems. And we will come out even greater if we understand how to combat these things. We understand things all the way from spiritual warfare to just overcoming the normal everyday problems of life. We will come out closer to Christ if we understand they have a purpose. And then the next year, we talked about relationships. You know, we're not meant to go through life alone. We're meant to have Christian brothers and sisters. And we're meant to have intimate relationships. Do you understand that the Trinity, the triune God, is the only God in the world, only God worshipped in the world, that is both singular and plural at once? That's what it is to have a triune God. He's both singular and plural at once. He made us for relationships because that's what relationships make us, both singular and plural at once. And fix people, and his name is Jesus Christ. And unless we say that plainly, we've lost our saltness. And the size of a church doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how big a church is. If you've lost your main message, then we're worthy for nothing to be thrown out and trodden underfoot. So the point here is that we have to make sure that whether there's a lot of people here or a few people here, we stick to the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus Christ and Him alone. And then Jesus says this. He says, you're the light of the world. Again, in this metaphor, it's the same thing. We're not the point. Just as salt is not the main dish, light is not the main focus. How many of you walk into a room and go, hey, I see you got a light. I think I'll just stare at the light. What a dumb thing. We're not here for people to look at us. We are reflections of the light of Christ, but we're not here for people to pay attention to us. We're here for other people. That, that is the main progress toward maturity that a Christian can make. I realize a lot of us come into church because we realize we're broken. We realize unless we deal with the sin in, your li in our life, we will never get fixed. Absolutely correcto mundo, absolutely right. But after we're saved, and after we begin to follow Christ, if we don't say, you know what, the main deal isn't me, it's what service can I be to somebody else. The main deal isn't how can I fix myself, or how can God fix me. The main deal is how can God help them through me then we're not getting to the maturity of Christ that God has for us. You are the light of the world, Jesus said. And the emphasis is on the world, not on you, not on us. We have to, we have to understand that some, the other person is more important. It says in Philippians 2, to count one another as more important. Not more important to God, but more important to us, that we help them than we help ourselves. King James, the first of England, was traveling through the high country one time. And this village was so tickled to have the King of England coming through. And they, <clears throat> they got this big parade and they, they, uh, they made a proclamation that the mayor read. And the mayor came out and read this proclamation in front of the king. He says, oh, great King, of king James, the first of England. May you live longer than the sun shines, longer than the moon shines, longer than the stars shine. And the king said, w wait a minute, wait, wait. 
Of course, he said it better because English talked better than I do. But, but basically, he said, wait, I don't want to live longer than the sun shines. Because if I do, that would mean that my son would have to rule by candlelight. Listen to what he was saying. He was saying, I'm not the deal. I care more about my son's circumstance than I care about my circumstance. Christians, how many of you can say, I care more about them than I care about me? I'm here for them, not here for me. One of the things that this church needs to do in the next few years, watch this, is transfer the leadership of this church to the next generation. You see, it's dumb to to think that we ought to wait till we're so old and so tired that we can't do it anymore and then start looking around for people to take it over. This is what I said Christmas Eve, if you were there and you remember. The difference between the in crowd and the manger people. One of the differences is that the in crowd believes that all of the power of society rests in the adults who have the resources to wield that power. But the manger people have the insight to understand that the future of the world resides in the child. I'm telling you, the church has to understand that. And the church must transfer that leadership while we can still share the leadership with them and mentor them in the leadership and watch them take off with the leadership of the church. It says, you're the light of the world. You're not the point. They're the point. And not only the kids that are already in the church, but the kids that are not yet in the church. The world. You're the light of the world. And he said this, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. I want, to, I want to teach you two things about this verse. I want you to remember two things. First of all, I want you to remember light, according to Einstein's theory of relativity, according to every science fact known about physics. Light is the one non-negotiable, unchangeable standard in the universe. The speed of light is the only thing that does not change. From it, everything else is measured. It is no accident that Jesus is the light of the world. He is the unchangeable standard of the universe. From Him, everything else is measured. But I want you to also see this. Watch the pattern of Jesus as he is explaining this. It goes from the general, you're the light of the world, to the more specific, a city set on a hill, to the even more specific and personal, the light in the home. I want you to know that the direction of ministry grows exactly that. It goes from general theory to personal application and to personal service. Therefore, the ministry of the church is not with the general theorists. It's with those people who live in the homes every day. You're the ministry of the church. And it's very important that as that, we need to understand something else. Look at the next verse. It says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Not you. Not you. Now this is tricky. 
serving people in a way that you become invisible and that they see your good works, watch this, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There is a difference between good works and ministry. Good works is just something done between two people. But ministry is something that comes from Christ and ends up in Christ. Ministry is something that begins in worship and ends up in worship. And that's what we're called to. We're called to serve people in such a way that we're not the focus of attention. God becomes the focus of attention eventually. But we must understand this first. We'll get to that other part later. We must understand this first. We live in a world that is very skeptical of anything that we believe. As a matter of fact, one of the things that Christians have to understand is people really don't care what you believe. The unbelieving really, the, the unbelieving world really does not care what you believe. One of our elders, Dave McCoy, the chairman of the elders, says this. I love this. He says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's exactly right. People will not start out with your head. They won't even listen to what's in your head until they see what's in your heart, and they won't see what's in your heart until they see what's in your hands. That's important. We live in a skeptical world, and for many reasons, that's so good for the church. That is so good for us. I am so glad we have an agnostic, skeptical press. I'm probably a little bit different in this, but I love the fact that the church tries to hunt out skunks in the church. I mean, the press tries to hunt out skunks in the church. I think that's great, because we got a lot of skunks in the church. And if the world can see them better than we can see them, they need to be pointed out. I heard the other day, this is just off the subject, I heard the other day about a minister who just continues to fall, but he's now he's going to reinstitute his ministry because he's amassed such a fortune in his ministry. The figure that I heard was $100 million. And I'm thinking to myself, how can anybody get $100 million out of ministry? Something's rotten here. But you know who's, who's sniffing it out? It's not the church, it's the press. I'm glad for that. I'm glad anytime, well, of course, we're not that big a deal, but, but, but what if 60 minutes were to come here? I'd say, come on! I wouldn't especially want to see them. I know they twist everything, but, but, but you know what? If they can find something in here that needs correcting, great! That's exactly what the church needs to hear. It needs to hear from a world that isn't going to cut you any slack just because you call yourself a Christian. The church needs that kind of correction because the world will only respect what they can see with their eyes. That's all they know. The world will only respect the practical good you do them. And if you do enough of that, you'll earn the right to be heard after you love them in addition to serving them. You'll earn the right to be heard. You know what? You know what Benjamin Franklin did in order to get the entire city of Philadelphia to have street lamps? First city in America to have street lamps. You know what he did? He didn't go to the city council and explain to them the virtues and the logic of lighting the streets. This is what he did. He hung a lantern outside his house, close to the sidewalk, so that anybody who walked past his house walked in the light. For that little time, 
because that lantern was lit all night long. For that little time, they could see where they were going, and they felt safer. Well, his neighbors saw that, and they liked it. So they hung lanterns outside their house. Pretty soon, the whole city was hanging lanterns by the street. He never uttered a word. What he did was set an example. What he did was do something for other people. That's how change comes. And that's the only way the church is going to grow in the 21st century in a healthy manner. Because you know what? The 21st century is more like the 1st century than any other. And it's only as we reach into the world, it's only as we live our lives in the world. You know what really struck me Christmas Eve as we, as we worshiped with thousands and thousands of Christians that were somehow associated with Northland? At first I started thinking, you know, about 90, I bet 90% of these people are Northland people. But the stories I've heard since that evening, um, uh, I, I, I don't think so anymore. There are so many of you who couldn't be there because you had family obligations or you were out of town. And there are so many of you who have said, man, I invited my neighbors, I invited my, my office, because they wouldn't have gone to a church. But the arena they can go to, one person, he's here in this service and I saw him coming in, said, there is a guy in my office who is the most vile, vulgar person. You, I mean, it is gross. But when it came... Time for Christmas Eve service, and I knew we'd be at, the, be at the arena. He'd been at the arena before. And so I just, I said, what, what can I lose? So I said, you know, we're going to be at the arena. I know you've been at the arena. Why don't you go to the arena? And he said, I couldn't believe it. That night I walked in, there he was. I couldn't believe it. I thought, great. That's exactly who we're going for. You are the ones who live beside these people every day. You're the salt in light. You're the hope. You're the ministry, just like the first century. Consider how the first century church grew. It did not grow because it had great literature. It didn't have any literature to give out. The first century church did not grow because there were uh, a few prodigy Christians who were so wonderful at this deal and such great rhetoricians and, 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 and such, had such great personal charismatic gifts that crowds gathered around and said, oh, I want to be a Christian like you. That's not how it grew. The first century church did not grow because there was some sort of a political atmosphere that said, well, hey, why don't we all be Christians? That's kind of like the end thing. The first century grew, the first century church grew for one reason and one reason only, because Christians lived the life of Christ among the people around them. They served them, whether they were believers or not. They loved them, whether they were nice or not. They made themselves of use to their community because that was the nature of Christ. I want to tell you, the only healthy way the 21st century church will grow is that way. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Pray with me. God, help us to put feet to holiness. Not to just keep it in the church. Not to pretend like if we gather and we say enough prayers, we're holier. Help us that, to understand that, that as we come closer to you, we're more fruitful. 
As we become more like Jesus, we care more. As we become closer to what the church really is, we are more extended farther into the communities to the most unlikely people serving in the most unlikely ways, but just trying to help. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.